Hey guys, this is me, Digimove Today. A tu bouge aujourd'hui, j'attemechiste oji, ivos te moviste ora. Welcome to a Digimove Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm excited to be here. In this episode, I have Lia Bueno as my guest. Lia is the owner of the Pilates Dancer and an instructor trainer for Stott Pilates. Lia uses Pilates in the latest in movement science to help dancers prevent injuries and return to dance post injuries. As a former professional dancer who suffered many injuries, she is very passionate, finding the healthiest way to increase mobility and improve technique for dancers. So without further ado, let's just get started. Hi, Leah. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. So my first question for you is if you can tell me about yourself. Yeah, um, my name is Leah Bueno, and I was a former professional dancer. Uh, my career was mainly in classical ballet, but I also did contemporary ballet, and um, I even danced in a variety show in Las Vegas. And throughout my career, I taught dance. So I worked both with professional dancers and pre-professional dancers when I was dancing. And I taught dance for about 20 years. Then I decided I wanted to focus on the health of dancers. And I decided to get my certification in Pilates in order to do that. Um, so I've been doing that for quite a while now. And I became a instructor trainer with Stop Pilates. So in addition to working with dancers and post rehab clients in Pilates, I also teach new instructors and help them with um, learning to teach as well as continuing education. Um, I write articles, wellness articles for dancemagazine.com. And I have a, my own business, The Pilates Dancer, where we're working on educating both dancers, but mainly dance educators in the newest research um, with movement therapies and how we can find the correlation to help dance teachers teach dance a little healthier. And that's what I've been, been doing for a while. Why do you decide to go into Pilates from all the things Um, I have had a relationship with Pilates for a while. I started doing Pilates actually at age 12 as a way to cross train when I was a young dancer. Mm -hmm. My primary ballet teacher was actually, interesting enough, one of the dancers who worked with Joseph Pilates in New York City way back wow. when. Yeah, so um, I do have to say my original Pilates training was not super precise. It was, um, my teacher's name was Maria Vey. And she kind of just told us, this is what I remember from what Mr. Pilates told us, you know, way back when. Um, but yeah, I started doing it when I was 12. I thought a lot about whether or not I wanted to do Pilates and gyrotonics. Mm -hmm. And that's still something that I think I want to venture into um, eventually, but I was really interested in working with the hypermobile clientele primarily, and I just felt like Pilates was a better entry point for that type of body type. When do you decide, um, because, you know, you said that you dance professionally before starting becoming a, a STOT certify, mm -hmm. so when do you decide that that you wanted to become a Pilates in instructor? Was it like right after? Was it well while you were dancing or when was that? I think that's something I always wanted to do. It was just hard to find the time. Um, mm -hmm. When I was still dancing, I actually started 
going to school with the plan to become a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And that was just very, very hard to figure out and maintain during a professional career. Um, so it was something that was always in the back of my mind. But if you, especially if you become fully certified in all apparatus, it takes a while and it takes a lot of time and effort. So it's just not something that I had the time to do. And then when I retired, I was still teaching a lot. And even then finding the time was tough. And I just got to the point where I just needed to finally do it. And, and yeah, and then I, and then I kind of jumped full force in after that. Do you recommend for, um, do you recommend to professional dancers to become certified in Pilates? Yeah, I, we have a lot of people who take our coursework who actually don't necessarily have the interest of teaching Pilates themselves. Um, a lot of them just want to dive deeper into the course. Stop Pilates is a contemporary approach to mm-hmm. Pilates. So part of what we do and what I think is very valuable for dancers is we have in both our mat and our reformer courses where we go over postural analysis and kind of the anatomy and the biomechanics of how the body moves. And I think that's very valuable for all dancers. So it's more than just learning the repertoire and learning the exercises. So yeah, I, I think it's at least taking the course. And of course, if you do want to become a teacher, it is very valuable that you go through the full certification process. And dancers can reach out to you, right? If they have any more que- more questions concerning like how to go about the training and, um, and all that, correct? Yes, of course. Yeah, everyone, um, my website is thepilatesdancer.com and there's um, a contact form on there. So if anyone has any questions, they can, of course, reach out to me through that for sure. Great. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, I know you said that you write for Dance Magazine. Mm-hmm. When and how do you start writing for Dance Magazine? So I saw, I want to say three or four years ago, they actually did a post on their Facebook page that they were looking for new writers and new content. And I simply just submitted an article. And my article was very in-depth because I'm used to reading things on, you know, the medical journals. And I kind Mm -hmm. of structured it in that way. And it was way too much information. And I, you know, probably wrote about a whole page. And the editor's name is Jen Stahl, and she was fabulous. And she wrote me back and told me, you know, this is a great article, but, you know, it's, it's a lot for our readership. And she told me she wanted to move forward with my article, but kind of helped me out of what their formula was. For example, not using anatomical words, because not a lot of dancers know that. And so it took me a little while to get in the groove of how to write for them. But um, I am a freelance writer. So basically, I write articles that I think are interesting for them. And sometimes they don't get published because they have something similar that they or something in the works that I didn't know about. And then I submit something and they, of course, go back through and we go through about three revisions before it actually um, becomes an article. But yeah, that's how I, I started with that. 
Any advice, Leah, that you have for uh, people that are, you know, either in grad school or, you know, PhD students that are writing, um, trying to get published, and then somehow sometimes it doesn't really work. Um, any advice that you have either for grad students or for someone that wants to write for a magazine like Dance Magazine, any advice that you would that you would like to give? To yeah. Um, first of all, I think don't be so hard on yourself if it doesn't work out and it doesn't get published. I think anything in life, you have to put so much out there and maybe only a handful of things work out the way you want. Um, as far as writing for publications, I would say, especially for the grad students, if you're looking to write for a publication like Dance Magazine, the hardest thing for me is what we talk about are very complex ideas within the world of science. And putting it down to a handful of sentences is always my challenge. So I would say if you're, if you're looking of writing, you have both ends of the spectrum that you need to get very good at. So writing for the people who need to hear the details. So maybe people who are also in grad school or also in the scientific field is going to be a very different approach than writing for the general population. So just finding terms of how to explain what is hip flexion, what is dorsiflexion, I can't even use those terms. So I have to kind of take complex ideas, learn to put it into simpler terms. Um, but I always start off with an article that is complex and that is in my own language. And then I just slowly start ticking away at it to simplify, simplify, simplify. And it, it takes a lot of time for sure. And it's definitely a learned skill, but that would be my, my um, suggestion on that. Thank you for that. Leah, what's your favorite research so far? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I would like to probably cite three. So I think it's important in the world of movement science that we look at the newest research but also where we started. So one thing that I think is invaluable and I go back to all the time is the work of Florence Kendall. And um, she was really the mother of physical therapy. And we still to this day, even though I think she wrote her book in the 40s, and, but it's still something that is valuable today. Uh, muscle testing and functions is something that I use on a daily basis. We teach it in our Stop Pilates courses on a, of course, simpler level. But then it's important that we also expand. So the work I really love of Diane Lee, who's a physiotherapist in Canada, and she's you know mostly known for her pelvic floor work and her specialty work with the thorax. But she has a system called the integrated systems approach. And it's, it's really fabulous because what she has done is when we're looking at the work of Florence Kendall, we start kind of having a laundry list throughout the body. So if you're not familiar with her work, she uses, let's look at specific bony landmarks that we can touch and identify whether somebody is in good static posture and then through identifying whether somebody is in good static posture, so maybe they have deviations away from neutral, we can then know if muscles are short, if they're long, and what's going on within the body. 
but you do start getting, okay, they're supinated, their pelvis is rotated to the right, their rib cage is elevated on the left, and we have all of these things. And it's hard to know where to even begin with the body. Of course, we typically work proximal to distal, mm-hmm. but, but do you know if the pelvis can affect the knee, the pelvis can affect the foot? And vice versa, a supination in the foot could be the cause of a pelvic rotation. So what Diane Lee has done with her integrated systems approach is it helps you as a clinician identify what she calls the driver. So she has a a great example of if you are a person with a foot pathology and your uh, doctors gave you um, an orthotic, but the foot is not the driver. So for example, the shift in the rib cage is what's causing that foot to be out of malalignment. If you are not fixing the pelvis and all you do is give someone an orthotic, that's actually gonna cause more damage throughout the chain. And Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, the brilliance too is in her simplicity of how she does it. So I always joke that it's the eye doctor test. So she simply has people do a functional task that they want to do. So when I bend down to tie my shoes, my back hurts. And then she starts going through and making adjustments within the body. So she'll put someone's pelvis in where she believes is a neutral. She'll have them do that same functional task. And then she says, is it better, worse, or the same? So that's kind of like when you go to the eye doctor, you know, is, mm-hmm. it, blur- is it blurry? Is it better? Yeah. Um, and then if it is not better, then you move on to somewhere else. Okay. Maybe it's in the thorax better, worse, the same. And it just gives you a place to start to begin your work with someone's body versus just getting overwhelmed with all of these things that we have to address. And those are to me, both sides of the coin both the the original kind of classic approach to looking at the body and now people who are doing more modern and kind of thinking outside of the box. But I think both are very, very valid for sure. I have to check both of them now that you told me. So I have to make sure to do that. Now, I know that you're very interested, you are, you are very um, interested in fascia. Mm-hmm. And so that goes to my next question. What is fascia and why is it important? Um, so the, there is a fascial congress and I'm going to try, I'm not going to be able to say this exactly right, but they define fascia as basically all of the connective tissue that is underneath the skin. So it's kind of funny because to me, it's one of the most broadest terms within anatomy. So Technically, your fascia is your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments. You have superficial fascia right under the skin. You have deep fascia that surrounds muscles. You even have fascia around your organs. Um, But it's everything that just kind of holds you together. And what's interesting about fascia is that it used to be anatomists when they did dissections. Um, obviously a body that is no longer with us is dehydrated and all the water is gone from someone's body. So the anatomist would literally scrape the deep and the superficial fascia away in order to get to the good stuff. So all the muscles and 
now with technology, we can actually look at fascia underneath the skin within a living body. And fascia is primarily water. So now that we can see it within the living body, we can see how important our connective tissue system is to not only just mobilize the body, support the body, and all general health. I think they're even doing research now, of course, this is out of my range, but where they now know that certain cancer cells are tra can travel through the fascia, and that could be part of why um, they see resurgence in the body that they didn't know before how that happened. So it's, it's a very interesting science for sure. Now, do you, I have another question for you. What muscles get tight? Um, so muscles can get tight. So first of all, tightness is a perception. And one of the jokes that I always use with people is when they tell me, oh, my, I think my hamstring is tight. Um, I always tease them and I say, you know, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way because your nervous system is constantly sending you signals. So a tight muscle is simply something happening within the body that is sending a signal to your brain that it's perceiving it as tight. So going back to the fascial conversation, if you do have, um, to put it simply, a kink in the chain. So we now know we have all of these connective tissues that are connecting specific muscle groups to other specific muscle groups. The one I use a lot with dancers, because again, the hamstring is usually the one they comment on the most. You have this superficial back line through your body and the connective tissue system goes all the way from your cranium down through your rectus spinae muscles, through the hamstrings, through gastrocnemius soleus into the plantar fascia underneath your foot. And if you had a part of the body, so let's say the calf, for example, that is restricted or in a contracted, uh, contracted state, it's going to pull on that entire fascial line. So you may have the perception that your hamstring is tight, but it could be something pulling on that whole fascial line somewhere else. Now, that's the perception side of it. The other reason why muscles can get, and I, I'm quoting, I know you can't see me, but tight, um, I'm going to say short versus tight, because tightness mm -hmm. to me is perception, is misuse. So every muscle within the body has a job to do. We have muscles that can be combinations of type one and type two, but for the sake, just to make this simpler, let's say every muscle in the body is either a type one muscle, a local stabilizer. So local stabilizers are meant to stabilize a localized joint. They're endurance muscles. So they're meant to, if you're awake and we're sitting up, those local stabilizing muscles should be on all the time. So some examples are our pelvic floor muscle, our transverse abdominis, the multipedi, and they're um, meant to be working isometrically mm -hmm. as we're alive and, and living life. Those are usually the ones that are problematic 
and they don't often work isometrically within the body and within people. So then we start moving on to our level twos, our global stabilizers. They're still there to stabilize, but they're going to stabilize um, joints that are farther away. So more distal joints. And the reason why typically muscles get tight, and here's the ones that become problematic, are type threes are global mobilizers. These are our big strapping muscles, our quadricep muscles, gastrocnemius, and they're simply meant to turn on, move us through space, and then shut off. They're not endurance muscles. So what happens within the body is if your smaller local stabilizing muscles are not working and they're turning off and turning on, our bigger muscles that are only meant to propel us through space are having to work. And again, they're not endurance. So then they get misused and they're trying to do a job that they're really not supposed to do. And that's where that shortness within the muscle can come about. And then another reason why a muscle could become short or tight could simply be postural. So somebody who is living life in um, a kyphotic uh, body position. So if your body is rounded forward and your spine is more flexed than it's supposed to be, because your body will take the shape of what it does the most, and this is, fascia does this too, that muscle never gets lengthened and will always stay in that shortened state. So a lot of what I do with people because I do movement is looking at, okay, are, are we have a restriction within the fascial chain? Do we have dehydrated tissue that maybe has not been moved very well and it needs to be rehydrated? Is it a biomechanical issue? Do they have something that is not stabilizing them or not working well and that's ca causing other muscles to overwork? Or is it a postural issue? And that's just how they've been living life and we need to work them with opposing movement to address that issue. So it can come from, from many different ways, actually. Well, thank you so much, Leah, for that. That's a lot of information. And I'm so <laughs> happy, no, and I'm so happy you say that because uh, posture is something that, well, along with the other things that you said, posture is something that um, I feel like as humans, we have to become more aware of how our posture is and as you said uh, movement I believe that movement can be a good way to uh, work on the muscles to not feel so quote-unquote tight mm -hmm, for sure yeah and it's you know you have to move in order to make cellular changes in the body I of course work with a lot of different people work with manual therapist and all different types of things, surgeons and whatnot. But if you're not moving your body differently, you're never going to make a change. And that's why movement is so important. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Leah, you, you work with dancers, with professional dancers, but you also work with people that are not dancers, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I, yes, I work with dancers. When I work with dancers, I am working with people who are either there for injury prevention. 
So again, going back to posture, we can know a lot about what will happen into in the body long term. Most dancers' injuries are overuse injuries. So again, a muscle or a tendon that is is not working well within the body. Um, with the dancers, then I also work post rehabilitation wise. So maybe they have come back after an injury and they need to get back to dancing or do not want to get injured again. With the non-dancer population, I primarily work with people who post-rehabilitation, but I would say post-surgical a lot too. So for example, those that have had a knee replacement, a hip replacement, you go and you do your PT. I do not touch you during that time. I also don't work with acute injuries. But a lot of those people that I see are people where we're kind of the last resort. So they've done their physical therapy, they've, they've been released by their surgeon, and somehow they're not back to normal function. Mm-hmm. And there's something else going on within the body. So it's my job, someone described my profession as a movement detective. And I really love that. Mm-hmm. So we look at the the global system, not just the hip, not just the knee, and kind of start to go, okay, why is it if everything's been checked off by your doctors, that you're still really having trouble walking. And that's a lot that I do with those non-dancer clientele. I'm so happy that you bring that point, um, that sometimes physical therapy, it's not the answer for every single body. Um, I mean, it so happened to me that I had, um, my sesamoids were irritated and I kept doing physical therapy. Then I got injected and a lot of things, you know, I inject, I got injected like once or twice and then, you know, started doing physical therapy a lot. And I was like, okay, I still don't feel okay. And I, the only thing that helped me was going to the acupuncture. I wouldn't, I, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, for some reason, I never thought that the acupuncture was acupuncture was the answer for me. But I really like the fact that you bring this, um, point that everybody is different and that Pilates is sometimes the answer. For sure. Yeah. It takes a village. Um, and you know, on the flip side, sometimes Pilates is not the answer. I, I always tell people, I want you to be successful and I want you to find what works for you. And for a lot of people, physical therapy, or I'm going to say manual therapies are important to get past the hump. Mm -hmm. So maybe you are in a lot of pain and you need those injections. You need, I wouldn't be able to give you that same result with just movement, but we are human beings that move around in this world. And if we're not moving our body correctly or in an educated way, we're always going to have issues and and that's where my job really comes in now what are the top three most common injuries in dancers you know it's it's interesting i think this is a little biased from what i do because i work primarily with people in chronic pain i find that tendinopathies of rectus femoris is the primary thing that i see i see a lot of issues with the hip 
um, the hip is a very mobile joint. And especially for dancers who require that amount of mobility, there can be a lot of translation within the head of the femur inside the acetabulum. And this is where things like labrum tears come into play. Again, tendinopathies. My PT friends would say foot pathologies are there the thing they do the work with the most. Um, so I think it kind of depends on your field, but definitely things in the lower extremities. So issues with the hip, with the knee and with the foot. And I would also say lumbar spine is a big one, especially with how dance is progressing. I mean, the, the range of motion, especially people, if you ever watch the modern contemporary dancers, what they need to do with their spine. It's, it's a crazy amount of range. And we're starting to see more and more spinal issues and hip issues, I think, than ever before. Now, I have three more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, people can take workshops from you. So if they have more questions, they can go to your website and take a workshop, correct? Yes, correct. I do two types of workshops. So I do through Stop Pilates Marathu. If you're a movement professional, those are through CECs. Mine, um, for my business, the Pilates Dancer, are not CEC-based. Um, but yes, I do workshops all the time for people through that. Great. Now, um, again, I have three more questions. So my first question is a question that I ask all the time. Um, did you move today? I did not move today as much as I wanted to. <laughs> I've been working with clients online, but I will be moving after this for sure. Great. Now, how would you define movement? What's movement for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, movement for me is anything that brings health and happiness to your body. Um, of course, I work and rehabilitation side of movement. But I think dancing in your living room is movement, doing ballet is movement, anything that that brings you help is movement for me. Where can we find you online? Um, so again, you can go to my website, thepilatesdancer.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find me everything is the Pilates dancer. And they can also find you on YouTube, correct? Oh, yes. Thank you. And on YouTube. I always forget about YouTube. Yes. Also, the Pilates dancer on YouTube. Leah, thank you so much for your time. I'm so happy you said yes uh, when I asked you to be on my podcast. So again, I'm very grateful uh, to have you here. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, the biggest thing I would like to say, especially for those, well, not dancers and non-dancers, you know, we have to remember we only have one body. Uh, you don't get to go to the body shop and get a new knee if you need one, unless it's a surgical knee and that comes with risk restrictions. So be kind to your body. If you are a young person listening to this, it may not seem like the postural things and the things you're doing now are going to affect you later, but they really can. And especially for the dancers, I am a big advocate on we need to have different strategies for how we increase our range of motion. There's so much great information out there. I'm doing a workshop on Saturday um, about the science of stretching. And we really need to start thinking and utilizing 
people like you and the people who are sharing information so that we're not just doing the same things over and over again and injuring ourselves. Dancers' careers should not stop at 30. There's no reason for us to get injured and leave our career. We, we can be uh, sustained longer if we do the right things. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to share that uh, workshop of science, the science of stretching. Okay. I'll make sure to do that. Is that on your Instagram so that I can just go ahead and share it? Yes, it's on my Instagram. I did a post um, today with it as Great. well. I'll make sure to check that out. Leah, again, thank you very much for being here. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't moved, you still have a couple of hours. So thank you again, Leah. <laughs> thank you. Bye.